Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Missed Apex Podcast is an independent podcast that does not sell nicotine to minors. We also are very unlikely to slide into your DMs. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined on the show by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? It's going pretty well. I'm actually excited about the show today, and how are you? Wait a minute. What, you're actually excited, as in you're faking it most of the time? Well, I mean, you know, well, do you consider my age. Yeah, this is an awkward way to start, but the reason you're excited is because we have a special guest with us today, and before he comes on, I will just remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Our special guest in the shed is none other than the man who asks the questions at F1 press conferences. It's Chris Medland. Hello, Chris. Hello. How are we? Oh, really good. I really appreciate you you coming on. I don't think you you know what it means to us bottom feeders when the cool kids from like real F1 media come on and, and hang out with us. You guys are not bottom feeders, just for starters. And secondly, um, it's g- great to be here. And it was even more fun to really scare you with how late I was. Uh, you, uh, you did musician is, timings for us. 
Yeah. yeah, it was completely in keeping with my standard timekeeping. Although anyone who does know me will actually be impressed that I was here on time, but just very close to deadline. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you were panicking slightly, weren't you? No, I'm, I'm pretty easy going with things like timings and audio qualities, Matt. You know that. Yeah, well, you know, this is the classic musician joke. What's the only thing worse than being late for a gig? Being, being early. early. <laughs> yes, I can attest to, to that as the, the husband of a musician, but I think we should turn our attention to F1 matters. And uh, Chris Medland, I am going to make you uncomfortable slightly by saying I think I think you're my favourite F1 journalist at the moment because you go about your business in a very calm, concise way. You report everything. I feel I can absolutely trust you, and you are the only F1 journalist that I have a tweet notification for. There was four compliments in there, so yeah. that forty quid. Uh, 40 50 there's a there's a, there's a there's a setup fee for the compliment okay yeah. all right fine 50 um thank you mate that's very funny to say uh i try and the the bit i think you said is is that you hope you can trust me that's the bit i just try and be honest i don't mind kind of admitting when i'm wrong too i definitely get that sometimes but i'm not someone who needs to be first all the time uh, i just try and make sure i'm, I'm accurate so yeah, yeah this is my I, one I try. this is my one concern about your journalistic career is that you appear to and i've had this confirmed by others in the industry you appear to have no ego at all do you really think you can survive at the top level without an ego i've got such a big ego no one can see it that's the thing <laughs> it's woods for the trees it's, it's yeah it's yeah. enormous it's all uh, all medland something's got to be um so no it's uh i try Basically, I mean, come on, we're just fans that have managed to find a way of um, following the sport around and writing about it or talking about it. And that's brilliant. But we're definitely not the important part of the show by any stretch. It's all about the drivers and the racing. So anyone who starts thinking that they are like all, all the journalist's job is to do is to take the really cool, important stuff and try and give it to as many people as possible. And that's it. Like they're mm. not part, really. They shouldn't be an over, overly big part of the story at any time. So, um, yeah, that's how I look at it anyway. Yeah, that's nice. So you're kind of you're being a an intermediary facility without making it about you. That's certainly not the case for for all F1 and journalistic outlets. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be fair, some do it very well, actually, put themselves as, as kind of in the middle of things or like there's some really good personalities around. But some go too far the other way, I think, or have um, there's a bit too much self-importance there that kind of clouds them sometimes and what you know we're not saving lives when we go around the world sort of covering races it's it's a great way to blag a living it's incredible (laughs) so basically you've just got to kind of as long as you stay as a a decent person hopefully it means you get to do it for longer until someone finally finds you out now much to my disgust uh, you set up a as an f1 podcast and it's you and nate uh, doing that that show isn't it and you two you just seem very relaxed and very comfortable in your skins so it's um, it's me, Nate, and Lawrence Barreto. So it's um, a bit of a mix. We've got one from ESPN, one from FormulaOne.com, and myself. Um, yeah, we call that the pad hoc. And it's just, just joking and talking about stories from travels and stupid things we've done. And the idea, it actually came out from ages ago on a road trip with um, Josh Cruz as well, who now works for Alpha Tauri. He's their social media digital um, head. And... Uh, Josh used to be a journalist, so he would travel with us quite a lot. And it was just like a, a funny kind of e-zine we thought of, almost like Paddock Magazine that we'd call the Paddock. And you'd yeah. have fake kind of columnists that would be uh, named after, like, you know, 
puns on corner names and things like that and it was it was just a huge piss take out of everybody basically excuse my french but um yeah uh it's gone no it's not gone nine never mind um so yeah it was uh really good fun and and that name kind of stuck so then when we wanted to do something lighthearted, we uh we took it and put it on the podcast with josh's blessing because he's not a journalist anymore mm. uh, so yeah we just we just chat and it was meant to be about what it's like traveling the world um kind of every other week we'd be saying oh you know, at this race, we did this, at this race, we did that. But obviously, we haven't all been able to do it quite so freely recently. So we yeah. timed it terribly, basically. Yeah, it sounds rubbish, listeners. Don't don't bother. Don't bother tuning in. Don't bother Nothing tuning in. Nothing like this. No, but fine. we've given it a plug now. So you have to promise that if you get bored of podcasting, you tell all your listeners to come and hang out in the shed. Come and hang out in the shed with us, Chris. I'll tell both. Yeah. Yeah, tell both of them. Uh, but, <laughs> but you do have some big platforms, of course, because uh, you are um, not only the guy who asked the questions at the F1 press conferences, but you also featured in season one of Drive to Survive and they have just dropped a trailer. Um, and I, I'm torn. One half of me always says, well, I saw that series. Why do I, I saw that season. Why do I need to watch Drive to Survive? But the other half of me is, is also very excited just to see what it will, will churn up. Have you had any kind of special access or previews? No, so um, I'm not in this episode episode uh, season, season either. Um, so I get the violins out, but I did <laughs> like I talked to the Netflix guys quite a lot actually, and I was able to find out about how they were able to get to sort of um, different headquarters during the lockdown. So before we went racing again, they still were able to go and film with teams and kind of see the struggles and and that sort of thing. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see. Actually, it doesn't sound all that sexy or exciting because it's no racing going on but it's in that kind of arena of stuff that wasn't shown on tv before it's proper behind the scenes that we weren't getting access to at the time either so yeah that'll be interesting yeah that's so interesting though that they were getting such good access because some journalists who will remain unnamed uh but joe was complaining quite a lot oh whoops was complaining quite a lot about uh you know not getting access because of course there had to be limitations to the amount of like you type of people who could get in and ask questions and talk to people. But Drive to Survive seemed to have, like, just carte blanche, didn't they, Matt? Yeah, well, I, I'm laughing. I, I've been to exactly two races as a as a press, as a member of the press, and I've been to the press gaggles, and I see exactly what happens when the cameras show up. <laughs> and the cameras are way more important than anyone who's writing down words on paper. I don't know why he's surprised by that. They, they pay a little bit more than we do. <laughs> and by a little bit, I mean we pay nothing. Uh, other than out of our own pockets to be there, but we don't pay Formula One for the rights to go and cover the sport, whereas obviously the TV channels do. So I, I get a bit torn sometimes because I do some TV work as well now um, for a Middle East channel, NBC. And when I'm doing that, you get way more access. So I was in Bahrain for them, and that was that meant I was allowed in the paddock, uh, but I wasn't allowed in the media centre with the way the regulations were and the restrictions. So I'd been at most races as a written journalist, and I was in the media centre only, not allowed to go in the paddock flip it round for Bahrain and I was only allowed in the paddock and not in the media center. So um, I've got a lot of weird sort of confused looks where people are like, what are you doing in here? But it, it was actually great just to be able to talk to people in person again. But yeah, that's when you feel kind of that genuine is just because they pay more money. Yeah. They get priority to get in. And so with all journalists really struggling to get access last year, and when they did get access, it was all from very socially distant or with face coverings and stuff. Is it a bit more optimistic within like your community? And I'm imagining there's an F1 journo WhatsApp group. Yeah, with like you and Joe and and uh, all the auto and sport people, auto motor and sport. Um, is there a bit more optimism this year that you're going to get more access? Because you're our windows to F1. It's important to us. So 
firstly, there's multiple WhatsApp groups. There's, there is a kind of official one. Yeah. Um, or there's one where like Formula One has added a bunch of different journalists just in case they need to sort of shout at us or give us a heads up for anything. Uh, and then there's teams have set up ones. So you've got everyone on those. Uh, and the Mercedes one has been going crazy the last 48 hours because one of their comms team is leaving. So everyone's saying goodbye to them. So I've had to mute that group. Love the guy. <laughs> Felix, like, see you later. Great, thanks for working. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, had to mute that. Uh, and then the Italians got very excited about the Mercedes-backed uh, Ineos boat getting beaten in the uh, America's <laughs> Cup qualifier over the weekend. So um, they all piped up as well. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a bit more optimism. Uh, there's a few of us that actually do that I get on well with that I'm friendly with people like Nate and Lawrence and things that have our own WhatsApp group as well. And, and we're talking about what's coming up. And right now we're unsure what it's going to be like for the first few races. Uh, I, I'm on the FIA media working group, so we get to talk to them about sort of plans for the new season. And uh, back in January, F1 and, and the FIA were saying, we want to get you guys back in the paddock. We're working on it. We haven't finalized it yet. We'll let you know as soon as we can. Um, and it all sounded quite good, but then everything's kind of dragged on. And with the uncertainty and all the lockdowns, it's meant that they haven't been able to give us any clarity. So as it stands, I have a hotel booked for Bahrain testing and, yeah. and the race but no flights because as every chance we'll be able to go. But uh, I think F1 been quite clever with this calendar. It's going to be brutal by the end of the year, but by backloading it, we've only got two races um, between now and the end of April, haven't we? Um, we've got the, the first two rounds and that's it because um, Portimao is going to be the third race and that's the 2nd of May. And that's just bought enough time to kind of let things settle down and improve to give us better access. So uh, maybe not from the first race, but hopefully sort of a few races in yeah so how much do you think we missed out on as fans and i don't want to say like you know did we miss you guys doing (laughs) being in there but like i i feel like we we felt just a little detached from from the paddock because we were missing our conduits yeah i'd say like personally i felt the same i went to uh i think 14 of the races no 12 of the races last year out of 17 in the end and of those 10 of them I was there and not allowed in the paddock and you you felt like a proper outsider as in they were they didn't want you in there it was like you had the virus and you know couldn't go near anyone and I've never felt so unwanted it was horrible but um you're looking in from the outside and genuinely you did feel like you're missing a lot and especially I remember Nürburgring when uh Stroll was unwell what was clearly covid um and <laughs> yes. and we were saying this this sounds like everything you're saying sounds like this guy has covid and they were like and they wouldn't get him tested mm. while he was there wait till he went home and then oh funny enough he had it and we couldn't go and face to face put pressure on the team or ask the questions or talk to sort of sources there that are, are lower down sort of thing because then people can ignore your whatsapp when it's getting a bit a bit tetchy or something like that so um yeah that that was frustrating and that was something i remember um i think a few people that were in the paddock saying we can, this is when you guys need to be in here because people are getting away with murder right now. <laughs> like the way they, they, they're dodging certain things and you guys should be holding them to account. So yeah, it was, we were missed a little, I think. Like what things? Uh, well, partly that, <laughs> partly the, the facts are like strong really should have been tested. Like yeah. there should have been no way that um, the racing point were allowed to say, oh, we'll, we'll let them go home. We should have been basically camped outside of their motorhome going, why are you not doing this? This is not on. Um, instead, they did one little group interview like with one FIA person um, who just asked a few questions and distributed it to everyone. That's how a lot of this kind of access worked last year. And that was it. They didn't have to answer any more questions until uh, the following race because then obviously everyone went home and, and that's when Stroll tested positive. So um, from that point of view, and then 
Some was kind of, you know, is everyone getting tested at the right time or or is everyone respecting the rules within the paddock? Because obviously we're being kept out of it and that how, how lax are people being inside. And in a sense that some pe- some teams who were being very strict said that I think that fear of being seen by a journalist, to, you know, as much as they actually hate it, they said, I think that fear would help some teams kind of keep them on their toes and, and maybe not cut a corner where you know they shouldn't be mixing or something. Yeah. And it was understandable that stuff was going to happen. I'm, I'm not criticizing them for that, but that's where they were saying we probably could have had a, a bit of help. I'm so glad you said that about the stroll thing because that seemed proper on top at the time. It just seemed like, hmm, it seemed very dodgy, Matt. I was going to say, isn't the correct word here to use dodgy? And you have used it now. Uh, what else do you think? What else would you have liked to have asked or, or, or did you feel was just deserving of more of a spotlight more scrutiny but, yeah but you weren't scrutiny that's a great word that, that you weren't able to bring to bear because of the separation and it really did work in favor of the teams a lot i would i would guess yeah I, I to be honest it most of it revolved around covid matters um but at the first race actually it would have been or the first few races it would have been all the stuff around we races one and and um, black lives matter and taking a knee and there was a lot going on there in terms of lewis and having talks and meetings with drivers and there was all this kind of confused messaging coming out and you could you know you could bump into a driver and say look normally you'd, you'd be like what's what's really happening here yeah. are you happy with this you're uncomfortable like whether i agree or not with their stance like you can find out even if it's off the record and then at the very least you can report yeah there's a there's a split here or there's some unease between drivers you don't have to name names if, if you don't want to throw anyone under the bus but we couldn't even do that because we can get to them privately and bump into them like that. Because sometimes they want to throw someone under the bus quietly and, <laughs> and cause a bit of chaos, don't they? And that's what we were denied. So hopefully we'll get a little bit more of that in 2021. It, it's been said by many people before, but the fact that they just mobilised, had a plan and put together so many races in the end so quickly. Yes, I know that's a nightmare for the teams and I, I'm sorry for the guys who had to pull all nighters and not see their family for, for weeks on end. But from a fan point of view, I mean, it was really good. Like they chucked out. I, I love the triple headers. My wife didn't love the, the triple headers and the fact that I was zoned off, Matt. But I, I don't know about you, Matt. Did you ever feel like there was too much F1? I think I had a slight wobble in the middle of the season. But generally, I was like, yeah, just plug it in here. Stick it straight into my arm. Well, considering that I actually write a qualifying and a race report in real time and then prep for the show. Yeah, there was a point where it started to grind. It was very hard to hold yourself to that same standard of detail and accuracy because you're just like, another one this week also. You know, it's it's it, it, it's a bit of a challenge. And I know that the teams themselves were were probably stretched very thin and the spares were stretched incredibly thin, thin at times just because of the supply chain and the closeness. And it was difficult to bring developments as well. So that schedule, though, that relentless pace, Chris, is one of these kind of genie out of the bottle situations. It seems like that's not going away now. I think I heard some broad statement from Dominicali that triple headers weren't going to be the norm. But then they're also talking about 25 races a season so unless we start in january and have snowdrift f1 races triple headers are probably a permanent feature now yeah i'll be surprised if we don't have any more beyond this year there was meant to be no more after last year that's how they said it and then obviously <laughs> they used the ongoing situation to say we need multiple next year so 
I'd be amazed if if this year's the last year that we see triple headers. To be honest. So, but you're you're there in normal times, which I, I hope we'll have again. You'll be at the forefront of covering races with ESPN, and you get hired as well to do some F1 work. Does that schedule daunt you? Are you like, oh man, that's going to be too much? Because you know you're of the age as well, Chris. At some point, little sprogs are just going to pop up, and don't pretend you've got a choice about it because it it just happened. Uh, well, two things. One, you've just um, given me a new gig because ESPN, I don't work directly oh, for sorry. anymore. Right, okay. um, it's oh. Racer, and Beg I have pardon. to. Beg your pardon. Racer will kill me if I don't plug it. <laughs> Especially as American Rivals. No, actually, they used to work together. So it's Racer.com, uh, is it? it? It is, yeah. And yeah. the magazine, although the magazine's very hard to come by. So why am I thinking ESPN? That's where you were before. That's where, you, that's, yeah, that's where I started out. Right. Beg your pardon. Um, that is a proper trip down memory lane. But uh, either that or there's something coming that I don't know and you do. So. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, that's, that's just me reverting to, to an old reset mode. <laughs> um but yeah so uh i can see your point because there's been times last year where with the lack of access and how tough it was really just being uh locked away at races and it genuinely was no different to doing it from home really other than you could look out the window sometimes and see the track which was nice um and you there when you're at the circuit in the media center you've got a lot more of a kind of focus because of the environment you're in so obviously if you do the races from home other things can distract you or you get a delivery or something. I was doing an interview or in, ask you a question of Daniel Ricardo in one of the races last year. I think it was Russia. <laughs> uh, and the, I can't remember what it was. It was a piece of furniture that was due at some point in the day. And I was, I think I asked four questions. So there was 60 seconds of time that I had a mic up during the day. Uh, and in one of those, um, as I was asking a question to Daniel, the, the intercom went and it sounded like a phone. So then I got all these messages from people like, who has a landline these days? I'm like, actually, that would be my uh, very snazzy intercom. It's my smart uh, ring doorbell. And yeah. uh, was it a sofa, a side table? What, what did you order? I'm trying to remember what that was now. <laughs> it might have been a new TV. It was a new TV. Oh, check a, you out. Yeah. So I, I did. This is something as, it's funny you said, but um, my girlfriend and I moved in together during last year and into a new oh, apartment that needed furniture. Here we go. So. So I've had a whole year of furnishing a really nice apartment, which is fun. And then I'm like, do I really want to leave it so much? But realistically, I mean, she, fortunately, she works in motorsport as well, so gets it. Okay. Uh, and it would be great to get back to normality mm. because then it would feel okay. But it's it's this bit where none of your friends are there at races. There's no access. You can't talk to people. You can't see people that you do get on well with. That that was a bit more of a grind. So 25 races like that, I'm not looking forward to. 25 of normality, I mm. can deal with, definitely. And spoiler, when you have little kids, because little kids are terrible, you'll be dying for those triple headers. And oh, sorry, love, got a, I've got a, I've got a, got to go. And then she'll probably suggest that you take over. It depends which one of you is more successful. I don't know. It, it's got to be here. I can tell. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. I've peaked already. So uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go, Matt. Well, we have some questions from the chat. I think the most important one, very clearly, is what TV did you get? <laughs> no, that's not the important but one. <laughs> also, earlier, Ambrose Shepard asked about the opener in Bahrain right. and would like to know why, of all the races, why is that one not a doubleheader? Feel free to flex about your TV if you really want, Chris. I will do. It was a Samsung. Uh, it was quite big. I want to say it's like 52 inch. Um, like. Yeah, it was basically I, I got lucky because the uh, media unit I got, which was quite quite nice, but I hadn't really worked out the sizing, and it just just fits. Just um, say you planned it like that, and never admit yeah. otherwise. Never admit um, otherwise. Well, because it's extendable, but only like the way it works is it's on two levels. So as you extend it, then it doesn't actually get any wider for the TV. So anyway, we got we got there. Um, so that was lovely. The F1 looks great on it. So Good. Obviously, obviously, it was for Formula One. Um, 
uh, Bahrain, so they were looking at a doubleheader there. That was a backup plan. So if we'd had um, more trouble in Europe in terms of lockdowns and a lack of ability to host races here early on, they so Portugal was the one that was late being confirmed. So if that had dropped yeah. off, they'd have moved Imola back uh, and had two races in Bahrain. Or if uh, Imola itself had had any trouble and Italy couldn't host a race, then again, Bahrain would have been two. So that flexibility was there. It was offered up by Bahrain. But also, as much as it seems kind of sparse at the start, and you're like, well, we could have two races in Bahrain. These these cars still need to run 23 times this year. You know, we, we've got so many races that have been lined up uh, and so many that are backloaded that even though it seems like, well, we could fit another one in at the start, that the cost of having parts that run that, you know, the life of the parts, um, that would just be costing teams money. So that's why they haven't just automatically put it in. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, speaking of chat room questions there, Matt, apart from your TV, there is uh, Mike Stoner, who's also pointing out that it's it's not really triple headers. It might be sextuple headers. And uh, we've uh, we, we started off a couple of weeks ago wildly speculating about what the format for the, the sprint races might be. We've, uh, we've right. And then we spent all of last week uh, bitterly arguing about it. And essentially, I think I tried to take a pro position. But uh, Bradley Philpott put out uh, a really a compelling anti-position to the sprint races. So I'd be delighted to get your take. But I think where I've landed on it is what problem are we trying to solve? That there isn't really any problem with the qualifying format. It's perfectly exciting. Apart from the fact that Lewis Hamilton dominated the championship, we had so many good race weekends last year. Like we had so many memorable and fantastic races what problem are we actually trying to solve? I get a bit scared that we are, we, as in F1, because obviously I'm involved in F1, that the royal we in F1 are fighting back against that corner of the media that if there's not a crash every five seconds, falls asleep and, and can't pay attention. Because it just feels like quality Saturdays as they are, are a great spectacle. They're exciting. They're the perfect build up to the main event. So, uh, you know, what's your hot take on potentially three sprint races this season, Chris? I'm actually for it as a trial basis. I really hope it's something Gunther Stein has said um, very well in the past is like, we just shouldn't be afraid of turning around at the end of it and going, you know what? We don't yes, need that. Yeah. You know, that doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be automatic just because we've tried it. Therefore we're going to do it. Uh, but I think part of it is actually getting more value out of the weekend in terms of for the teams itself. Uh, if you think of how much money they spend to travel around the world and be at every race, and then you've just got the one race spectacle. And if you think, well, actually, we can give better value to the promoter, but we can also get more value out of these cars being here right now. You know, we've shipped them to the other side of the world, um, then then run them. Uh, we'd still get qualifying, but be on a Friday. But also, yeah, that would take the edge off it if you did qualifying Friday just for a sprint race, and then the sprint race was the actual grid for the main race. Um, I think it's, it's interesting. It, it, the whole point, really, I think, is so that they can cut down eventually the race weekend and have kind of less days of track action but better action on the days you do have action therefore promoters are happy enough and then you can move around more often and and do those 25 races they want to do that's what they're looking at so what do you think that they'll move to like just say forget about friday but you know uh, saturday you'll have the qualifying a bit of practice quick qualifying for the sprint race a sprint race and then the race on the sunday is that 
sort of so I think it would be more Friday afternoon you'd get a bit of practice maybe even two sessions but short two short ones that are kind of backloaded and then a qualifying on Saturday morning or maybe you do one practice session a bit like they're going to do this year we'd have one one practice session then a qualifying session maybe a short practice just to as a warm-up almost on the Saturday morning and then a, then a sprint race um I think a, a lot of it is kind of like well we could do it like this we could do it like that Liberty Media have been very good actually at kind of going you know let's talk about these things yes yeah up to now we actually haven't seen anything major change in that sense you know formats haven't changed um this year will be the biggest change when it in losing half an hour from each of the friday practice sessions which i think is fine to be honest especially if you then open up a better sort of opportunity for other track action with other sessions and other, maybe races that happen at that time then i think that's quite good stop agreeing with all the things matt has argued with me in the past it's not fine <laughs> I, just... I want more practice sessions and more test match special style commentary thank you very much on a friday whilst i'm pretending to work i just need to point out that the pro in the room is mostly agreeing with me at this point and then mm. i actually I, I do have a question though I, I mean we know the teams have said yes to trying it out but have you heard from any of your other paddock sources, like what their view is in it? Like how, what are the mechanics thinking? What are the people who build the cars thinking is uh, it, what is their take on it? Are they in favor of it or do they just see it as another gimmick? I, I think for a few, so, yeah, when you talk about mechanics and, and some team members, they're kind of thinking that's just extra work. Mm. Uh, that's something that they, they've kind of managed to get this routine. It's already busy and brutal, but you know, they've got comfortable in it. And you're suddenly saying to them, right, here's a here's a curveball to deal with, uh, potentially. Because again, it's still not fully confirmed. And it sounds like it'd be quite last minute for them to know. You know, that they love, F1 teams love to have everything planned out, especially like strategists are, are working out strategies for the final race already. So the way that they're doing this sort of thing is something that I think if you suddenly give them a, a late change, they get really frustrated by it. So they're not too happy in that sense. Uh, there's... Mechanics, I don't think mind too much as in the in the sense of well, a driver pushing at one hundred percent on a qualifying lap might crash. So obviously, if you get that in a sprint race, you know that's going to be the the same outcome as such. You know they've still got a car to rebuild by Sunday. It's going to be the fact that you'd say it's probably more likely you're going to have contact during a sprint race than you are in a qualifying session, and that's going to cost money. So it's going to be whether it financially makes sense to the team boss and for them it's going to all come down to whether then that's offset by however much more money they get from the promoters to say, put on a sprint race for us as well. So it's kind of, it's more of a business decision, I think. And and if they're happy, then the mechanics kind of have to be happy as well. Well, I have 19 more questions, but I'm only going to ask one. I'll leave the data <laughs> acquisition to later, which is, is I, I think, and I don't remember who said this or where I heard it. So if I'm just making this up in my head, I apologize. But I had heard that the sponsors, particularly team sponsors, we're not delighted with the way things went this year in terms of what they paid for versus what they got. Yeah. Mm. Is this a potential way to address that in the future? Potentially. Yeah. It, realistically, I think they'll turn around and go, well, if we can get more eyeballs on a race weekend, because there's more action that's competitive rather than practice, then that's a better return for those sponsors. And you're right. There was definitely a lot of negotiation that went on about, okay, well, are we still paying the full price seeing as we've got, five fewer races than were planned and and that they're in different markets and locations that aren't actually that important to us or you know they're at different time zones you know if you've got some big international sponsors but so much of last season was in Europe then they're not really getting seen that easily so um yeah I think there was a little bit of a move to appease them and again to people like broadcasters who maybe want a little bit more value for money who probably 
uh, accepted that last year was just going to be strange and they weren't going to get as many races as they paid for. Promoters the same. I love it. And of course, what we're really talking about is all those decisions that came out of that last meeting. And and one of the biggest ones was the engine freeze and Honda. And I'm just curious what your Red Bull sources have told you about this behind the scenes that, that we may not be getting ahead of time. Like I, I know I read an uh, interview that you published about how they'd actually moved their original new engine back to 22 and back to 21 now. So, so what's going on behind the scenes and how happy are Honda to leave an engine that can't be developed now in the hands of Red Bull? So I think Honda are actually very happy because it does mean that there's a bit of a life to their engine. Because of the freeze that's come in, it means that what they've worked on doesn't then just get scrapped at the end of this year. Uh, and they'll, they'll be developing as well during this year. But yeah, so Honda originally had planned last year when, when the other technical regulations got delayed by a further year. Uh, they've been planning a new power unit for the new type of car that was going to come into play. And then because that was delayed till 2022, they were like, right, well, we'll still line up the new power unit for 2022 and, and match up with that car. Then the head office says, now we're going to pull out. Uh, so they're like, oh, then we're going to end on a bit of a low if we do it this way. So they then reversed that decision. So in a sense, they were already along the way to having a new engine for 2021, had to had changed plans and then changed back again. Uh, and the fact that they weren't allowed to introduce updates during last season meant they could just fully focus on what mm. they were going to do between then and now. Uh, so Honda have done, um, from what I'm hearing, a really good job of bringing all that together and they're pushing really hard and they want to end on a high. They, you know, I think anything less than a championship win will be a disappointment for them. But if Red Bull then managed to nail it with their car next year <laughs> and they're running what's essentially a Honda power unit still, Frozen, then they're going to be, you know, Honda will still be dining off that, I think, or at least trying to. Yeah. Um, and the last time they they sort of jumped ship and, and left um, some technology for someone else to run <laughs> was uh, Braun, and that went all right. Ooh, they don't want to do that again. No, they don't. But does it not bring up sort of this larger question, and I've had this discussion with other people, about just the basic economics of if, because there's always this drumbeat, we need more engine manufacturers in Formula One. But whenever I look at it as someone who's not a business person and frankly not very organized either, I, I, I don't see the economic case for like how many power unit manufacturers could Formula One really support. And that being the case, does it make sense for anyone who's not also running a team to be in it just as an engine manufacturer? Because it doesn't seem like they get the same marketing out of it as the teams do. That's where you could say that this move is... Um, maybe a slightly negative thing because Red Bull have gone, we need full control over the engine that goes in our car to make a good enough package to take on the other big teams because that's exactly what Mercedes do, exactly what Ferrari does, exactly what Alpine is going to be doing and Renault were doing. So that that's the level they feel they have to be at. But I think if if it was an ideal world, if it was perfect, I think the idea would be that you'd have 10 different engine manufacturers for 10 different teams. And whether that was Mercedes powering a Mercedes or Audi powering, powering a Williams, that's kind of how it would work. But like you say, that's not financially viable with how expensive these are to, to make. And that's why they're always chasing sort of something mm. that's road relevant too, because then that almost offsets the expense side. If, if you've got an engine manufacturer that goes, yeah, but there's technology here that we might use. And this is a good marketing tool. Um, problem is Merck absolutely nailed that for this latest set. And everyone else looked at it and went, that would have been good if we had done the same thing, but we can't now. That ship sailed. So, yeah, um, yeah. I think it's more. They're probably looking back to what's realistic is is three or four 
independent manufacturers um, would be great to to have, and then they could look after the whole grid. But uh, there's just too much of a good return at the moment for winning if you've got the capability of doing all of it, and that's what Mercedes have shown. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so j- just to clarify for someone like me who really loses track of like these engine regs and what's going on. So basically now, Honda Honda are going to see out this year with the Honda engine, and I'm hearing seeing nodding, so that's good. Then they go all the way up 23, 24, 25 with these current en- engine regulations. So we've now agreed a freeze for the next three years, which means that we're kind of stuck in a place where actually the engines are probably closer than they've they've been since 2014, but Mercedes probably still have an advantage. The Honda power unit looks in good shape. Uh, Renault... By their own admission, it seems like the Renault power unit isn't fully the problem because, look, McLaren did a little better than, than Renault. I guess the concern is Ferrari, Chris. Do, do, with this engine freeze, does Ferrari have a chance to, to catch up at all or are they, are they toast? No, they definitely have a chance. Um, one, you skipped out 2022, so it's 22, right. 23, 24. Right. Oh, okay, and then okay, okay. 25 is the aim for the, for the new PU. Roger. Um, as it stands. But then for Ferrari, they said they're going to have a new power unit this year anyway. I mean, they knew from the word go last year that they're in a really bad spot. So they were working to rework everything and come up with something much more competitive um, this time around. And I think, one, that should happen anyway, at least put them right back in the ballpark. Because, as you say, there was there was three power units that were closely matched. I still think, yeah, Mercedes was the best one. But they were, you know, in a much smaller gathering than we had seen in the past. Yeah. Past. But then Ferrari were just that little bit further off and they just weren't able to join the party and it, and it really stood out. So I think this year they should get back into the mix. But from what Christian Horner said last week, is that if any team is kind of frozen or manufacturer is frozen with a proper deficit, then there's a gentleman's agreement right. that they will be allowed to do something that would that would close that up. Now, F1's never really worked very well on gentleman's agreements. <laughs> so whether or not that actually will come to pass, I'm not too sure, but he's fairly confident in it. And the way, the way he speaks is because he's, I guess, worried that Honda won't be quite on it um, at the end of the year or maybe Red Bull will have any trouble. But it, that I think it needed that safety net for in case Ferrari hadn't done enough work over the winter as well. 
Yeah, well, you sort of stole the question. I Because I had read that same report, and I could not think of a time where the teams just said, oh, well, if one of the teams is oddly behind, we'll <laughs> just let them catch up, and we'll just agree as to how we do it without any actual regulations to make us do that. It seemed like sort yeah. of just a yeah, wishful thinking. Yeah, we'll, we'll stop at the end of the street and stretch our quads off. Don't worry, come on, <laughs> come on, Ferrari, we'll chill out. Well, that said, I mean, if you look at the way Mercedes in 2014 ran some of the races they did, uh, and they you, you got little snippets of the full potential of the car, things like Bahrain when Hamilton and Rosberg went at it, and they ended up 30 seconds clear of everyone after 15 yeah, laps of green yeah. flag racing at the end. And you suddenly realise, okay, there's there's more to this, and they're being conservative because they can't blow any opposition. Braun, I mentioned Braun earlier. They said the same. They they ran early on so conservatively because they're like, we can't go and lap everyone because they'll find a reason to rein us in. So we have have to rein ourselves in almost to keep our advantage. It's really it's, it is the way F1 works in a sense. Um, and there was even whispers at some point of Merck technology being allowed to become slightly more public knowledge than it normally would mm. after 2014, just so teams kind of understood or manufacturers understood where huge deficits were to just close everything up. So sometimes for the benefit of the sport, it does happen, but you're right, it's definitely not guaranteed. I think Braun went a bit too far reining that in because that wasn't that comfortable. Like that could easily have been a Vettel championship. Well, because they started so well mm. and qual- uh, in testing was when they really hit it. But then it was because I think they went out with high fuel, old tyres, went quickest by miles and everyone... And half the grid thought, oh, they've done a performance run, like no fuel, new tyres to try and get sponsors. And it's the yes, opposite. So then they were careful. <laughs> but they just didn't have the budget to develop. So they had to make sure they won, but without kind of getting penalised. And then you're right, then Red Bull caught up and caught up and, and they were really on the back foot. So it needed that mega drive from Jensen didn't it, in Brazil to nail it. Well, without discussing exactly why, I may have been forced to read through the technical regulations again. And... Am I mistaken in that there is now some information from the teams that is going to be open source, available to any of the other teams to look at? And I just to redirect back to Ferrari real quick and their chances for the 22 engine. I'm really curious about this because I did see a report that they had a working group with AVL um, and were working on sort of a revolutionary new engine for that, which both sounds promising and terrifying, because if they get it wrong, they're really going to be stuck with it, aren't they? Well, so I think AVL actually worked with all of the um, manufacturers. I think just their expertise means they do. I think Christian Horner said similar again. Who's Someone AVL? Asked, you, AVL is? Uh, uh, they're an Austrian right. um, kind of like power unit or engine um, technology company. And it was um, Christian Horner was asked directly, were you um, work with them? And he was like, well, they work with everyone. For There was a component I think they work on or whatever. So I think it's just to varying degrees. Um, the open source stuff actually is, is something I haven't dug into. But there's been a lot of so much freezing that we've had go on um, that I think more has become like acceptable open knowledge because it's become standardized. I mean, that's mm. something that Liberty wanted to get towards as well was... Uh, more standard components in certain areas that would therefore bring the cars a bit closer. So it might be through that. Um, and definitely because of the way that we've got financial regulations now, teams need to be more open anyway with a lot more than they used to be allowed to and they're going to get audited and things. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me. But that's something I haven't actually, I, I wouldn't be able to give you detail on, I'll admit. Not so pro on that one. The, the, the advantage of Matt asking 17 questions at a time is you can just focus in on the one that you do know. It's fine. Never feel obliged <sighs> to answer all 17 Classic missed apex rookie error there. <laughs> I want to just sort of jump in here and just, I don't think we've talked about how 
exciting it is that Red Bull have just taken this opportunity and run with it. And from drinks manufacturer to sometime airplane stunt uh, airplane maker to F1 team who have long complained about their relationship with engine manufacturers. It was acrimonious with Renault. You know, they even like uh, Christian Horner asked at press conferences about the Renault engine. He's like, what are you on about? It's a Tag Heuer engine. You know, like they've been openly hostile and the relationship with Honda, yes, of course, it, it looked a little bit better as it, it developed and they went about it the right way. But it is a monumental thing for a a, a, a privateer works team to suddenly go, we're not going to only build our own engines. We're going to take on the most uh, the most technically challenging and expensive engines ever in Formula One. Like this, we can't underplay how monumental this is in F1 history. Yeah, I, so I, I wrote about this to plug my own writing. But <laughs> no, no, plug it, plug it. That I, I wrote about it on Racer. Uh, Red Bull make energy drinks. That is their core business. Like, And I keep having to remind myself that. The whole reason they have an F1 team is because they like to market in such a cool way. Yeah. But their core business is energy drinks. And they just don't do anything by halves. And they're like, okay, so if we want to promote our brand, the best way to do it is by winning, essentially. And and they've, you know, they started off as a normal sponsor, didn't they, in F1? They were on the side of a Sauber for a while. But eventually they get to the point of, no, it'd be better to have our own team. We can market it that better. And it's all just about how well can we market our stuff? And they've just gone further and further and further. And instead of at some point going, you know what, you know, enough's enough. Like it's, we're, we're down a realm that we don't want to be in. They've been like, we can do anything. So they've, they've gone for it and it's massively impressive. And they do plan on actually mm. being able to develop and build their own power unit for 2025 onwards, like whatever those regulations are. This isn't just to fill the gap between the, you know, in the freeze years from 22 to 25, they say this is so they can actually build their own in future as well yes. if they need to they're, yeah. they're, they're fully setting up for it we've got a new engine manufacturer matt it, it's <laughs> happened we've been talking about it we've wanted it and we've got it yeah no and it's great uh but i, I had thought that them developing their engine in 25 was very much going to depend on the regulations for 25 and that seems to be very much an area of discussion right now have have you heard any rumors about what might be happening no, there's there's obviously a lot more move towards things like uh, completely sustainable fuel, but they still want to have an internal combustion engine involved in that, um, which is the thing is you, you hear bits from certain engine manufacturers publicly on the record, and it's because they obviously have their own directions they want it to go in. And it doesn't mean that's where everyone's converging towards. It's just where they say, yeah, I think we should be doing this. And then they talk about why that's a good idea. And everyone says, oh, yeah, that'd be good. And then next thing is, like, I know we're going somewhere totally different. So that was Christian Horner again saying, um, that that's where it looks to be going. And that's why it appeals to to Red Bull. That's something they can still work with. Mm. And uh, that means it's not a huge departure from the technology we're at at the moment, but it's still um, an, a big enough evolution and, and step that would be very good and environmentally friendly and, and impressive technology. But you don't have to start from scratch again. You're starting from you know, maybe 20% or something. So um, that's why it attracts them. But I, what Horner said was they had to set up they they can't invest this amount of money and and run their own power unit even though they won't be updating it unless it's in real trouble um they needed to be able to run their own and maintain their own and understand it all to to invest that much money then they had to be able to take the next step beyond that which is yes. just developing it mm-hmm. um so they they said that's the only way to do it you can't you can't do this by half otherwise it's a huge waste of money so they've gone all in i i just can't imagine they've taken all this on without 
without thinking that they were going to develop it and become either become an engine manufacturer or at least have a plan in place for the new regulations to bring in a team of of, of engine people and badge that as something, attach a sponsorship to it. You know, like we pay them a bunch of money and it becomes the missed apex engine. But I, I feel like they're going to be the driving force uh, behind any development of that of that engine. I just want to touch on the fact that you were saying, well, it's Red Bull. They don't do anything by halves. They're just sponsoring a thing and the, the best sponsorship is from winning. I mean, a lot of that, though, is is Christian Horner, isn't it? Like Christian Horner is the racing element of Red Bull. I think we too often think of him as a an employee uh, who's been put in as a team principal. But I get the feeling that he is the driving force behind the race team. It's not like, well, Whitmarsh went and McLaren carries on. I feel like without Horner, there's, there isn't that Red Bull racing team push. Is that, is that, is that incorrect? I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. Spain, okay, good. We're, we're not getting on well this today, are we? <laughs> um, but no, I'd say Helmut Marko is much more that. Um, look, Horner is uh, very good managerially. You're right in that he had the racing background before. Um, he'd done a great job with Arden. He clearly had the expertise and and was the exact kind of figurehead that Red Bull, Matishitz and Marco wanted because they could, um, in a sense, control him, but also he was strong enough and he's smart enough and he'd work well politically. That He was a very good team leader in that sense, but there was someone above him. And it's a bit, I guess, in a sense, it's a bit, if you now look at McLaren, you've got Andreas Seidel, who's done a great job as team principal. And Zach Brown is hands-off, but Zach Brown is still the CEO of the racing division and will call the, sh- the final shots. So I think that's where... That's a bit more of a similarity, and if if needed, Horner could go, and it would be Marco keeping the ship sailing in the right way, and would be like, right, who do we put in who will fulfil a similar role? But I think they would go for someone similar because of the job he's done. Well, you can forgive me for thinking that, given how how long he's been there and how mm. ingrained in the fabric of Red Bull Racing he is. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you know you can't underestimate the job he's done. In the, again, in the sense that we talk about, this was an energy drinks company looking to promote its brand and thinking the best way to do it was to own the team and try and win things. And he's been a very big part of managing that team going from just you know a, almost like a disruptor. I think is always the term used back in like yeah. sort of two thousand six spell where they did cool stuff, but they weren't very good to dominating for four years and, and still being the biggest threat to Merck now. Yeah, that that makes sense. It's almost like he's sort of a front man. And then behind the scenes in the back office, you have Marco kind of driving the the racing decisions and those those larger decisions with Matischitz, which makes sense. They're both German and they probably get along better. But speaking of drinks, what's happening with BWT? Because everybody loved the pink cars. Are we going to see some new pink cars on the grid this season? I don't think so. I, I saw the reports no. on. I know. So I had um, a, a good chat. With, I did an interview actually with Gene Haas last week. And oh, in that, tell us it, more. It was, it, well, in that, it was pretty clear that there wasn't going to be uh, BWT weren't their title sponsor. There's a different one. Um, and the so after, from all of that, I already knew. Some um, I, I was then told, you know, there's this report in Germany that BWT might be sponsoring Haas. Um, people are talking about it, and no, clearly not. Um, but the team hadn't come out yet and said, um, definitely not. So it just grew and grew. And then, then I saw, um, I think it was Autosport Motorsport put up like mock-ups of either the Williams or the Haas with a BWT, um, livery. And I said, well, I don't know about Williams, but from the Haas side, it's, it's a no. And then the noises out of Williams seem to be probably not as well. So, um, I think 
BWT are more likely to be on the Williams than the Haas, but I still can't see Williams then going for a, uh, an all-pink car either. And the, the first car after under new ownership, if you moved away from the Williams traditional colours, would be a bold step, wouldn't it? it it's, just, it's a rubbish pink. If you're going to go pink, go like hot pink. Not just like, it looks like my old Vauxhall Astra that I left out in the sun for a couple of years and when I couldn't afford the MOT and it just got faded. That's, it's just, it's the wrong pink, Matt. That's all, that's my problem with it. Yeah, no, I understand that. Uh, before we go on, because we have a listener question we want to get to, I just got to ask, when you interviewed Gene Haas, was that before or after Story's press, quote-unquote, press conference? <laughs> His big announcement, William Story, oh, CEO of Rich Energy Ooh, for Context. Did he have anything to say about it? No, we didn't even give it any time of day. I mean, clearly, he's not going <laughs> back there. Um, so, no, we didn't even... That, that's something that I think Haas have done very well as a team. They've kind of just let him talk whatever rubbish he wants basically um and use you know of course he still uses house pictures doesn't he he puts up a picture of his car liveried up like that um, yes yeah and you know i think i guess they could say to him you know this deal got terminated and you don't have the rights to use it or whatever but they don't they let him do what he needs to do um it, it's up to him and he seems pretty bullshy about the fact that something's going to happen but <laughs> yeah i know, I know. i've had people say why are you giving that airtime because it's exactly, yeah. because i can't help it it's my favorite like soap opera at the moment he posted a picture today or the rich energy account i forget which which was the rear end of a 20 20- 14 hours i think or something like that it was an autosport article and he was like this is the view our competitors will be looking at like, no dude that's a like you've still got the ferrari engine so they'll be seeing like that as they lap you and b if you've got an announcement to make announce it they've they've got nothing um but they seem to be heavily hinting that they're going to be taking hars over again so for our sanity do we think there's any credibility to that none whatsoever right okay zero yeah, fair enough. In that case, Matt, instead of giving that more time, why don't we go to um, some of the Slack questions? Uh, we've got another 10 minutes with uh, Mr. Medland, if that's all right, Chris. We're not keeping Fun you from, from from anything. We're not going to get you, you in trouble. You're keeping me from pizza. because I. So the reason I was late, as I was um, saying that Spanish was unhappy, not unhappy, but nervy, um, was that I went out for a run. And I'm just, again, I'm blowing my own trumpet. So well, it speak, counts triple but... now because you DM'd me bet... that you went for a run. You've now said it live on the show. So that counts for triple. Yeah, and and I posted it on Instagram to make sure the world sure. and by the world like a few people know. Mm. But um I ran a half marathon. Um so T- I was very pleased with myself. Tonight. And, and and my quickest one ever as well. And uh and got back and showered and came straight on here. So I haven't had dinner. So I've earned a pizza. Oh yeah. And, uh, that's all that's gonna be waiting. So you'll hear the noise that Daniel Ricardo heard of the uh, intercom going, and that's when I'll be like, see ya. And we'll take that as a hint. So if Chris <laughs> Medland suddenly disappears, it's because of pizza. And we'll respect that. Uh, but Matt, why don't we go to a couple of the listener questions then while we've got Chris pre-pizza? No problem. Uh, Brian Wong wanted very much to know about McLaren and their two tokens. Uh, pre- he goes, presumably everyone else can spend their tokens on something else because McLaren had to use them adapting to the new power unit. And he wants to know how is it possible for them to keep pace with the other teams because they had a defined spend in advance where the other teams could pick and choose where they wanted to improve their car? Uh, I'd say yes, it is. Because one thing we saw when McLaren quite late last year introduced a new nose uh, during the season, and that was to avoid having to spend a token on it because they wouldn't be able to over the winter. So that wasn't something that was um, perfected at the time. But it, but as soon as they'd made that that key change, then they can update the error around it and make smaller changes, but they didn't need to spend tokens. So they they knew the, the hole they were in, as in a sense, and could... Um, kind of take measures against that if anything 
I think the the one thing that they've got going against them is a combination of that and the fact that they finished so high in the constructors championship that then they get a little bit less wind tunnel time and mm. and um, CFD time compared to say AlphaTauri who ended up what seventh but were damn quick at the end of the season. So that balance is a little bit that there could be a, a closing of the gap because of that. But uh, I think when you put a Merck engine in the back, it's going to be strong still. But they do rejigger that three times during the season, don't they, based on how teams are currently doing and not just on the do previous they? year's championship oh. or the aero regs? Uh, do they? Well, I think, I, I think you may do. well have delved deeper than I have at that point then. <laughs> yeah, 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 this happens all the time. Yeah. It's really annoying, Chris. Uh, but I'm, I'm, more, I'm more than happy to be told it as well. Because I'll tell you, this, actually, this is a good way of me excusing myself as well. But it tends to be, if I then need to write about something like this, you go and look and find out. Um, but generally, and, unless someone asks me and puts me on the spot, I'm, I'm like, well, I, you, you know, the overall arching like theory of something and then when you have to actually write about it in depth you go okay so what's the actual detail so that's that's interesting to know if it is that but i don't think it would have a huge effect because most teams will be turning their attentions to 2022 really early so by the time you have that first reset as such if they do look into that it it will be done for 2021 cars well, there you go. More evidence, Chris, that you need to dump that silly pad hoc or whatever it is podcast. <laughs> Concentrate on our show because we get tested constantly. Our listeners take absolutely uh, no garbage from us and make it very clear to me by emailing spannersready at gmail.com. Uh, they make it very clear to me what it is that we've got right or wrong. And Jack Reeves has a follow up question, which uh, actually took the words out of my mouth because Jack says, somebody else may be able to answer this for me. But what actually counts as a token? We hear that all teams get two tokens. McLaren have to use them on the engine. But does that mean they can't do anything else with the car, front wing, etc.? At what point does a development become a token and not just a normal development? Fantastic question there from Jack. That is a classic, like I was too afraid to ask, but I don't think I've ever understood tokens. So similarly... I'm on the detail. I'm not. I'm not going to go. Wow, I definitely like this. But a big part of it is if it's anything related to the chassis itself. So if you had to basically, so McLaren were the only team that had to rehomologate their chassis. That changed enough because of where they had to mount the power unit that their chassis was different to last year's. So they had to do another crash test. No one else had to do that because they weren't changing anything directly associated with the chassis. But if you did, that would have been token spend. Uh, I'm pretty sure it is structural. So whether it's like crash structure, anything that's under the surface of the car. So the front wing will have aerodynamic elements, but also the nose box will have an actual structural shape to it. That would be a token. So um, the suspension would be token spend as well. So I know AlphaTauri explained how they um, focused on the nose and the outboard front suspension uh, were where they spent their two tokens on their new car. There, so basically aerodynamic changes they were free you can do that's why cars will still look fairly different in that sense um you can make as many aero changes as you wanted for free but it's the more structural stuff underneath that constitutes a token i'm, I'm still lost matt did that make sense i'll look at you see if you're nodding yeah i i think you summed it up incredibly well for viewers who don't feel like sitting through 112 pages and 10 dependencies <laughs> worth of technical regulations in essence the aerodynamic development is allowed to happen, but because they're trying to save money and carry over as many parts from last year, you could only make a very small number of structural changes to the chassis and the mechanical parts of the car. So basically the underneath shape of the car. Can you tell I don't always write about technical stuff? No, no, you completely <laughs> fooled me. Man. That yeah, was no one does. 
No one does. It's no one cares, Matt. That's why tech time's terrible. Uh, I do, know. Tune it, in. Awful. You owe me a tech time, by the way. You and Matthew Summerfield put together Matthew Summerfield Motorsport.com. Bit of a Miss Apex flex that we have him still involved in Miss Apex podcast. When's our next tech time coming, Matt? Come on, you must be badgering Summers. It 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 it, it yes. Good. It's right. yes. We'll have a tech yes, time that's coming. That's my answer. Yes. I am. I am desperate to not get in the way of Chris Medlin's pizza. Uh, but just before you go, you mentioned Alpha Tauri there. Now, I I I am a big fan of Japan's involvement in Formula One, and I, I feel like. You know, Japan is as much of the fabric of, of F1 as the main European teams. And I, I never feel like F1 is quite proper without a Japanese driver. We now have Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, I'm desperately trying not to expect too much from this rookie. And I, I've got a suspicion, I've got a feeling that maybe it was only Honda's links into the Red Bull program that maybe got him there. Yet still, I'm hoping he delivers somehow a killer blow to an also very popular driver that I like, Pierre Gasly. Is there any chance that Yuki Tsunoda comes in and and really kind of makes his mark on f1 chris i'd say yeah 100 um because the thing people overlook is yes yeah, sonoda was a honda junior driver but he was also a red bull driver red bull put them in their driver program um and he's gone through the ranks so quickly from japanese f4 to then formula 3 formula 2 he's done one year in each and he's been he's just shown enough in each one that he learns quickly and he can be a bit reckless or make the odd silly mistake reckless probably isn't fair actually but make the odd silly mistake yeah. more more like and i think we'll see that from him this year but he he is quick as well and he'll he'll have a lot of learning to do early on i wouldn't expect too much from him straight out the box um but i would expect to see flashes of it you know you might see It'll be the sort of thing when, like, in a Q1, you'll suddenly yeah. go, wow, Sonoda looks ah. really quick. Like, he looks strong. And then when it comes to it, crunch time Q2, he just misses out on a but spot in the top 10. he's a but proper F1 driver. He's a big proper. Big time, yeah. He, okay. he was very good. Very good. I, I was impressed with him last year covering him for F2. Right. Well, I want to ask, because it seems to me that maybe AlphaTari has come to a weird inflection point. For years, they were nothing but the development team for Red Bull. And now Red Bull has gone and hired Perez after giving, mm. you know, kicking Albon to the curb a bit. And Gasly, who, yeah, he didn't do a great job the first time around, but he won races last year and seemed to be just consummate pro, is still at that team. Has there been a rethink of Alpha Tari's place in the Red Bull universe? And are we seeing that with them keeping Gasly on? Uh, so I think keeping Gasly on was because he did such a good yeah. job. It was it was almost, it should have been him promoted rather than Perez. You should have stuck, if you were sticking with just your sphere of drivers, then he almost made himself impossible to ignore last year. But um, the way that Red Bull now talk about Alphatari is as a sister team, because Alphatari can buy more stuff from, from Red Bull, but also have different backing now in a sense. Like Alphatari is a Red Bull owned brand, but it's, it's promoting something else itself. So it, it, it by its own right now needs to um, kind of up it. It's not just the Italian term for Red Bull. Um, so there's a little bit of a shift there. They've got some very good people in place at the team anyway and, and have, and they've expanded. They've started using the Red Bull wind tunnel because it's 60% scale rather than 50% in Bista. So that's meant to improve things as well. By um, sister. It's pronounced by sister. <laughs> So there's there's all sorts of kind of developments going on on that front. And then Gasly's just shown enough up to now that they've wanted to go, right, let's let's keep him there in case we ever need to put him back in the Red Bull or in case he has another amazing season and convinces us, basically. But he's definitely 
he's done too much that you could ever drop him. He like another team would have picked him up and maybe done a sights on them and, and actually shown that, yeah, this, this guy's good and deserves, you should have promoted him again. Uh, so I think that's why they've stuck with him. Plus you do want a solid benchmark to then see what other young talent can do. And I think that's something that unless you've got two incredible talents as rookies, you should have one that's got a bit of experience to then be able to judge them against the rookie. So I think that's why they've gone with that approach. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do actually this year. Chris Medland, it has been a fantastic treat to have you in the podcasting shed. We're going to abruptly hang up on you so that we make sure that you you do get fed after your excessively long run. I would have done two shorter runs, but that's just me. Uh, so <laughs> we'll hang up on you and then we'll go and do our comment of the week. Matt, we'll have that lined up. Uh, but before you go, Chris, racer.com to find your written work at Chris mm-hmm. Medland F1 on Twitter. Yep, F1 on Twitter. And I, technically on Instagram, I've got two, Chris Medland and Chris Medland F1. I don't know why I did that. It was to get access yeah. to cool stuff. Um, and Motorsport Magazine sometimes as well, some ramblings on there. Uh, and F1.com during race weekends. Fantastic. So, and, I, and I hope yeah. that you will come and see us again when you get bored of doing your silly pad hoc uh, podcast, which reluctantly I will tell our listeners to go and check out. But uh, you know, come back here. Don't go there and stay there forever. Check out Chris's one and then come back. Mine's nice and short as well. Mine's only thirty minutes, so at <laughs> most. And it and it has. I saw some puns in the live chat, um, oh. which were very impressive actually. And I'm a big which fan. Which ones? Um, I'm gonna have to go and find them. There was one that was. Uh, it's all tokenism when oh, we were talking about tokens. Sake. I got that one. Um, so that was very good. Wh- and uh, what was the other one? There was another one. Well, is your pizza um, here? You can judge comment of the week if you'd like, because we do do a segment where we reward the best comments. Or um, we're borderline. There's, I don't, I don't know if I pay enough attention to all of them. So that was Stuart Neal with It's All Tokenism, if you ask me. Um, and then there was another one that was, uh, can they play basketball arcade games to get more tokens? And I do think there should be a like a cool way of getting them, of earning tokens um, that would just be a lot more fun. And, you know, you pit drivers against each other in challenges and it's like, well, you've earned your team a token. Go and get yourself a new front wing. My one is the um, one where you do a bowling ball and it jumps up and jumps into rings. That's the ones that I get the tokens at in the arcade. I absolutely slay at that. I can't remember that, what it's called. That is, isn't that skee-ball? Skee-ball. That, that sounds like the one. Yeah. But the thing is, the thing is me some since, since you've, this is a very popular segment on the show, Comment of the Week. And since you've started, I'm afraid you, you're sucked in now. Comment of the Week. So, Matt, you give us three contenders for comment of the week and Chris Medland he's sucked himself in he's going to miss his pizza if it comes he's going to have to be the judge can I just ask a question as well because Mike Stoner in the uh, chat is saying that puns can't win can puns win technically if puns you... can't win unless Nick Alexander is on the show we will make an example we will make an exception for Chris Medland because he's puns can't win if I have to pick the winner yeah there we go that's that's but a good rule anybody else puns puns are are legit Hurry up, because I okay. just saw a worrying look to the side. I think he's heard his door go off. Okay, come on then, quick. <laughs> I did, yeah. Come on, three, right. three contenders. Oh, well, I, okay. It'll be, it'll be an Imperial three contenders, though. Connor Marr, early on, says to you about your nickname you don't like, you've got that big Rick energy. Oh, because that was pre-show that I was talking about being called that Ricky. That, yeah, now I, everyone knows that my family called me Ricky. Thanks a bunch. I didn't say that. Oh, but you did. Curse so, you, well trumpets. Done. It's happened again. <laughs> um, we're going to go, obviously, at this point with Stuart Neal. It's all tokenism, if you ask me, regarding our team token discussion. <laughs> okay, I've got a feeling, but okay, here we go. And the third the third one that didn't win? Uh, the third one that didn't win, um, 
will be Jaron Johnston. The base car is like dough. Development is like cheese. And then tomato sauce. Tokens are like pepperoni extra toppings. I'm assuming you're going to pick Stuart's one. No? Have you changed your mind? Oh, well, I like the way that, that, that Darren went for the pizza analogy because he knew I was having pizza. But And it's a, it's a good effort. But yeah, I'll, I'll stick to <sighs> it's all tokenism. Comment of the week. Well done, Stuart Neal. You are winner of Comment of the Week. We'll be back next Sunday. We're going to have Tony Cohen-Brown coming back on the panel. We're going to be discussing all the F1 news as usual. It will be streamed live, so join us at 8 p.m. UK time next week. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Chris, go, go, go. It's okay. Go. I can see it's there. Have fun. Thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed having you on. Come back soon. Yeah, thanks, man. It was Come back soon. Cheers, guys. I love that. That was great fun. <laughs> Definitely will. Um, I'm just going to say thanks to everyone in the chat and eat a lot of pizza. If you did a half marathon, but apart from that. I've then. earned it. Go, cheers, go, guys. go, go, go. Don't Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.